All right. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Um, uh, thank you guys for uh, having me out to, uh, to see you guys again. It's always a pleasure to come to this church. Uh, so many young families, so many cute kids. Your kids are cuter than other churches' kids. I'm just not going to lie. Um, during communion today, every like every eighth kid, I'd be like, oh my God, you're so cute. And just like, it was crazy. Maybe I'm getting old and I'm into a uh, good do mode. I don't know. But uh, so the, the topic is not what you see on the screen, which is it. the topic is to so another topic, spiritual warfare. So that is the topic. And we want to talk about uh, that topic, right, Tony? Spiritual warfare. Okay. Um, and so some of the things that Tony asked me to talk about is why do we have spiritual warfare? What's who's the commander, who's in charge, who's our allies, who's the enemy, all of these things. And so we, we want to think about spiritual warfare, um, just sort of discuss um, this, this, this constant struggle that we have, all of us as Christians. Um, so I love this quote. Um, it's kind of a depressing quote. Maybe that's why I love it. Or it's very freeing. There never was and never will be a place on earth free from sorrows. The only sorrowless place possible is in the heart when the Lord is present there. And that's just kind of a setup, which is there is no place to escape sorrow, to escape misery, to escape struggle, to escape pain. And we can try, we can go to different places. And in fact, most of the the travel business is, is built around selling you the concept that if you go to this place, there's no stress here, right? This is where the massage is. This is where the, the drinks are with the umbrella. This is where the person, you know, takes you and, and you bathe in whatever. And, you know, they soak you with all kinds of creams and then your problems go away here. And that this thing is saying is there's just no place like that. Even there, even people say, you know, I'm going to go to the monastery and I'm going to get away from all of this. You think there's, you getting away from temptation and struggle at the monastery? No, uh, forget Satan. The other monks, you know, like there's gossip at the monastery and people stabbing each other in the back and people talking about each other. And of course, it doesn't matter. You think in the clergy, you know, a bunch of clergy guys run around and none of us have uh, struggles and we don't gossip and talk about people. And there isn't, of course, there's no place on earth that's like this. And sometimes our first attack by Satan is to let us think there is, and we just have to find it. If we moved, you know, if I went to a different church, maybe if I got a different priest, maybe if we had a different servant, if maybe if I got a different job, if I have a different wife, if I had different kids, Right? And, and we start imagining all the places where there is no misery. Okay? And then what the saint says is, is the only place there's no misery is in the heart, alone in the human heart. And he sa doesn't mean be like a recluse and be by yourself, but when Christ is present there. Right? So the only place that I can go to get away from all of it is inside. And, and, and that's when I take God with me. And that's the only place there is no misery and there is no sorrow. Right. Now, this could be very depressing, right? Because, you know, well, that kind of sucks um, because there's no place, there's no sorrow, right? But it's actually very freeing, right? Because if I'm the person who's been chasing this sorrowless place my whole life, moving and changing houses and changing jobs and changing spouses and changing whatever and changing friends, 
it's kind of relaxing and say, you know, it doesn't matter if you go to this church or that church, or you go here or there, or you have this wife or that wife or this kid or that kid. It's all the same, right? Everyone has this sorrow. And the only way you escape it, quote unquote, is you go inside, right? And this is what Christ said, right? He said, the kingdom of heaven is where? Inside us, right? It's not a place, you know? So when we pray, we don't need to look up. It's not like it's over there, right? The, the, the kingdom of heaven's inside. So when we pray, we look in, right? And that's where Christ dwells. And that's the only place that we can find this comfort that we're looking for. So the struggles are everywhere and they're continuous and they keep getting ramped up. St. Athanasius says, it is a fact, brothers and sisters, that the path of the saints in this life is one full of troubles. All right, so now he's even laying out for it further. <laughs> the path of the saints is one full of troubles. And we see this in the life of all the saints, right? You read, read the life of any saint. You know, I mean, most of them, you know, died by, you know, being tortured and got their heads cut off. Not, right? And then, you know, even saints like Pope Carlos. There it is. Um, even saints like Pope Krillus, you think, okay, you know, he's patriarch, you know, he's, he's top of the food chain, right? He's the, he's the big, he's the alpha dog. They were, they were attacking him vicious nonstop. His own priests were turning against him. They all, they all tried to get rid of him as a Pope. I mean, the amount of persecution that he underwent, if you've ever read this book, Silent Patriarch, you see how much garbage this guy took, right? This is the path of the saints. This is all of our paths, right? There's no running away from this path, right? The only choice that we get is whether or not we want to take this path on with Christ or not, right? And, and every time we come up against a cross, you know, I always think of the very first cross, right? The cross of Christ, right? At that cross, there were two thieves, right? A left and a right. And at that cross, the very first cross, it reminds me of every single cross in every one of our lives. And we all have lots of crosses, all of us different, but all have lots of crosses nonetheless. And we get to pick, do I want to be right-hand thief or left-hand thief? Do I want to be the guy who says, you know what? I don't want to be on this cross. I want down. I want off the cross. If you're the son of God, get us both out of here. Or I can be the person who says, look, I'm on this cross. I want to be with you on the cross. I want you to be with me on this cross, right? And every time we come to a cross, we have to, we say this prayer and we pick. Do I pray the, I don't want this cross prayer? I mean, you get a, a jerk boss at work. What's the first thing we pray? Lord, please get him fired. Please have him die. Please have him not do this crap to me anymore. Please let him understand my worth. Please let him, right? What am I praying? I don't want the cross. Get rid of it, right? Uh, such and such gets sick. Someone has cancer. Someone has a disease. Lord, please heal him. Wait a minute. Is that the prayer? Is that God's will or your will? Are you just trying to pray the cross away? That, that's the first thing we do, right? Everyone, get, let's get together and pray that this not happen. Well, maybe it's supposed to happen. Maybe it's what needs to happen. Maybe it was the best thing that ever happened, right? And so a lot of our prayers, when we think about them, a lot of them are left-hand thief prayers, right? Where we're asking God to, no cross, please. No, thank you. Make it easier, right? And so what St. Athanasius is telling us is that the path of the saints, this is our path as Christians. It is a path of struggle and trials. And Christ promised us this, didn't he? What did he say? In the world, you will have tribulation. End of sentence. That's it. 
ever since the fall in the world, you will have tribulation. Uh, Eve through pain and childbearing, Adam through the sweat of his brow eating, however you want to, you know, imagine this pain, it is there. In the world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I overcame the world, right? And so in me, you can overcome the world. Uh, consistent with the very first quote, in Christ, in your heart, that's where you overcome the world. If you try to dance with the devil and you try to, you know, that's a Ozzy Osbourne song, dance with the devil by the pale moonlight. It's not important. But if you want to, <laughs> I just, you know, anyway, um, if you want to, you want to get into the world and you want to live in the world and you want to kind of, you know, work this edge, right? Where you're like, I'll be in the world, I'll take from the world, but I'll, you know, I'll really, you know, I'll, I'll keep my Christian life. It doesn't work so well, right? Because the world just has a way of getting to us. And it also doesn't work so well that I use the tools of the world to overcome the world, right? So I've got all this stress in my life and all this anxiety in my life and all this pain. And I know I'm going to drink. I'm going to go to Vegas. I'm going to party. I'm going to have an affair. I'm going to get a new car. I'm going to get a new boat. I'm going to get a new pair of shoes, but like really nice, expensive shoes, right? I'm going to get a new purse. I'm going to get whatever, okay? And what am I doing? I'm trying to use the world to overcome the world, right? I'm trying to use the tools that the world offers me stuff. I'm going to take a trip. I saw a commercial, you know, about with sandals, resort and spa. And if you put hot stones on my back, my life gets better. So I'll go put hot stones on my back because that apparently solves all the world's problems it did in the commercial, right? And so I'm going to try, okay? And eventually what a lot of us do is we try a whole bunch of things. I mean, everything. And you know, if only I graduate college, I'll be so happy. If only I became a doctor, I'll be so happy. If only I got this residency, I'll be so happy. If only I bought this house, I'll be so happy. This other house, if I have a kid, God, give me a kid. Okay, God, give me two kids. God, take my kids, right? So we, we just keep going, right? And then, you know, there's this thing here in the United States is very common called midlife crisis, right? What's the midlife crisis, right? You get to like 50, like my age, and you think to yourself, wow, nothing has worked. It all it sucks. Nothing has solved the pain in my life. And you have a crisis, right? Because I've done all the things. I've made all the money. I've bought all the stuff. I've done everything that can be done and nothing worked. Crisis, right? And now you realize, oh, I'm not going to be happy, right? That, that hole that's inside me, that, that emptiness is not going to get filled. Nothing in this world can fill that emptiness, Right? And the reason is the emptiness is ultimately what? It's God-shaped. It's an infinite hole. The hole that's inside us is infinite. And what we do is we spend most of our life trying to fill it with finite things, with material things. And you can't fill something in number one, two, and trick. Number one, two, and three trick, right? Which is fill the hole inside us that we all have, that emptiness, that you know, gee, lacking, I don't want to fill it with something. If I became this, then everyone at church is going to look at me differently and I'm going to feel good about myself. Well, guess what? Do the thing and watch everyone gossip about you. And then you figure, oh my gosh, that didn't work. Okay. So, we just canonized him June 9th. He's one of my favorites. He says, the saints are not humans without sin. They are humans who have struggled against sin. And this is really important because, and I don't know why, but a lot of us were taught that you go to church to be good. Good people are at church. And 
you know, that's that's what people do. Church, okay, the good people, Wladrabina, the sons of God, we don't do those things. Those outside people do those things, right? Well, it turns out we do those things, and just like the outside people do those. Like there's there's studies on morality, and they look at, excuse me, Christians versus non-Christians and their behavior, and guess what they find? No difference, right? So it's about that. It isn't about being good, right? It isn't about it isn't about achieving holiness, right? Where there's certain things that. Um, that always works, just hitting it. And so when we get in this concept where we think being good is, is the deal, right? Well, what happens when we come up against St. Paul's words when he says, no one is good, no, not one. And all of us fall short of the glory of God. And then that can cause kind of a depression, right? Because no matter how hard I try, I'm not good. No matter how hard I try, I fail. And so what the church teaches us and what Abunab Kamen is trying to teach you here is a saint is a sinner. All of them. All of them. And so every person, except for Christ alone, is a sinner. Which means they messed up. Did Pokrilo's sin? Yeah, all the time. Did St. Anthony sin? Sure, all the time. Does Embesarapion sin? Sure, all the time. Right? Right? So, so... <laughs> I can say Pope Kirillus sin. You're all like, yeah, I'm a Serapian, I don't know. Um, <laughs> archdeacons, never. Um, what was I saying? So every, every person is a sinner, right? We're all like this, right? So then what's good and bad? It's not about that. It's about the struggle, right? It's the battle. And it's not about achieving some level right? Because we're never going to achieve a level. In fact, the day you say, I've achieved the level, God help you. The day you say, you know what? I'm pretty good. I deserve to be in this church. I'm a righteous Christian person. The day you say that, we have a big, big problem. And I wouldn't take communion if I were you until you figure out why that's false. So there's nothing more dangerous than leading to that. Right. And sometimes we'll see that even in, in the in the ethos of, of of people we see in the church, you know, you'll ask someone older, you'll say, Who's your confession father? And they'll say, Confession, that khalas, man. When I was young, I confessed, you know, when I was a teenager, now khalas. What? What did you just say? You just said you, you don't need to confess. Um, wow. Heaven help us that we never get to that point where we ever make a statement like that or, or ever have a thought like that. And that's the most dangerous thought there is in the church. And that thought is the one that leads to what, what's the next thing? Judging those who are sinful. Because, you know, I'm not. And so I'm going to judge those who are. The youth, the, the guy with the earring and the girl with the pink hair and, the, and this person with the tattoos and the person who does the thing I don't think they should be doing, I'm going to judge them. Why? Because I'm here, and you're not. Right? As we said in the sermon, Christ didn't come for these people, 
right? And as I'm often fond of saying, if you're at this level, you're up here and you're, self, you're, you're righteous and you're a great person, then just don't come to church. Just stay home and just be righteous and just hang out with your own righteousness because the church isn't for you. The church is a hospital for sick people. And so what is Christianity about? It's not about being good. It's about the struggle. And the struggle has sometimes very little to do with, with effects, with how it turns out. And some people are called to struggle their whole life with no apparent victory whatsoever. And that's okay. Because it isn't about the victory. It's about the struggle. Because the struggle is the victory. You guys ever watch Rocky? The movie? Right? So Apollo Creed knocks down Rocky, right? And he just, he's beating the heck out of him. First one. And then this one scene happens where he knocks him down. Everyone is telling Rocky to stay down, right? Including Mickey. You guys know Mickey? Mickey's his coach. Love Mickey, right? Mickey's like, stay down, stay down, right? The audience, the, the crowd is telling him to stay down, okay? And then what does Rocky do? He just starts grabbing for the rope and pulling himself up. And then that's when the music starts playing, dun, 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 right? And you just see Apollo Creed look at him and go, what are you doing? Apollo Creed wants him to stay down. Everybody wants him to stay down. Okay? But that's when the music starts playing, and that's when you know he's already won because he didn't stay down. Now, what happens as soon as Rocky gets up? Apollo Creed knocks him right down again. That's okay. That's just the way Satan works with us. He tells us, stay down. And in staying down, that's the victory. That's how he wins. As soon as you give up, the moment you give up, he wins. And that's ultimately the ploy that Satan puts on all of us, right? In fact, even when I say something to myself, like, I can't believe I did that. You know, I, I did some bad sin. I did something, whatever. I can't believe I did that. Think about that statement. It's a very arrogant statement, isn't it? It's the other side of pride. I can't believe I did that. Well, of course you did. And in fact, the, the more natural prayer is what? Lord, you know me. What do you think I was going to do? You've met me. You know how I act. You know who I am. You know how weak I am. Right? That's, the, that's the real prayer. That's a humble prayer. That's the, the prayer of the heart. So we're called in the church not to win, but to fight. And the victory is in the battle. Oh, sorry. The, vic yes, the victory is in the battle. It's in the struggle. I'll tell you guys another story about a monk. This monk was an alcoholic. So every time he went to monastery, he had, he had alcohol in his breath. He's Russian, so it was always vodka. And people were like scandalized by this guy, right? He's drinking. He's a monk. You meet him. You're like, I, you know. Um, and people would complain to the abbot of the monastery. Your monk is drunk. That rhymes. So, uh, you know, and, and he would have to, you know, pacify them and say, you know, I just leave him alone. Blah, blah. Anyway, this guy. This monk passes away. All the other monks hate him. They judge him. They're like, he's a piece of garbage monk and he's an alcoholic and he makes us look bad and blah, blah, blah. He passes away. They hear all this praising coming from his body, you know, near his body and they smell all this stuff. And they're like, what? We thought this guy was a, a horrible person. So they went to the elder of the monastery who was actually a saint and they said, what's this guy's story? And they said, this guy was an alcoholic. He was one of those babies, you know, during World War II, you know, millions of Russians were killed, men. 
And so the orphanages were full of babies. Like you'd have a floor with a thousand babies in it and three nurses. Okay. The orphanages had that kind of, you know, overcapacity. And so what the nurses did, because they just needed to shut these babies up, is they put alcohol in their bottles, right? Just knock them out, you know, because three nurses can't handle a thousand babies. So all these kids, you have this generation of kids who are just alcoholics, like clinical alcoholics, right? Not like I'm an alcoholic, but like alcoholic, alcoholic, like it's in their blood from when they were little. This monk was one of those. He used to have 17 shots of vodka a day. He joined the monastery. And his abbot told him, try to make it 16. And so he struggled for a year to get it to 16. No, no, you know, no 12-step program, no medicine, no doctor, not just me versus me, day in, day out. And then a few years later, he got it to 15. And a few years later, he got it to 14. And we're talking about, you know, medical addiction here, right, where he would just hold himself until his hands are shaking. He's going into withdrawals and then he would take his shot of alcohol and he just fought this fight every day until by the end of his life, he was down to like three shots of vodka a day. That struggle. And God saw that struggle and said, yeah, you're a monk and you're an alcoholic, but you know what? You're way up here because you fought harder than anyone else in that monastery. And this is how God sees us, right? He sees that love towards him and, his, and the father. I love this quote, St. Maria of Paris. I think she's Catholic. Christianity is either fire or it is nothing. And this to me is such an important, such an important concept in Christianity. There is no middle. You guys remember this verse in the book of Revelation? You're neither hot nor cold. You're lukewarm. So what did I do? I spit you out of my mouth. And unfortunately, most of us as Christians, we like to hang out in lukewarm. I come, I do the things, I hang out, I take my kid to Sunday school, I attend the liturgy, I fast every couple of weeks, you know, I do the things. And what this saint is saying and what the, the, the book of Revelation is saying is that there's no middle. You're either on or you're off. You're either fighting or you're not. You're either struggling or you're not. And there's just no middle. And we are called to be fire. And every part of our Christian life should always be fire in every aspect. And if we're not fire, it's almost better just to be cold. It's almost better to say, you know what? Yeah, I don't care. I'm not into this stuff. I don't like the church. I don't like any of it. None of this matters to me. Great. We can work with that. Because at least now you're honest. But if you feel that way and then you still come and you're just kind of going through the motions, then you're in the danger place. Because now you've pacified yourself and you fooled yourself into thinking, you know, I'm just going to go through things. I won't struggle. I won't battle against myself. I won't fight that battle against me. And instead, I'll just go to church and I'll eat tameya during the Lent. And then I'll feel good about it. You know, and unfortunately, this is the way we do pacify ourselves, right? You, you, you take something like Lent and someone says, you know, are you going to forgive that person who, who said those things about you a year ago or whatever, five years ago? Or, you know, we all have a, a, a favorite tunt, right? Who, who, who pissed off our mom 25 years ago, right? And she's still upset about it, right? You know what she wore at that wedding? She knew I loved that dress, right? And 
you know, and they're still upset with each other. And you say, you know, are, are you going to forgive this person? And they say, never. Do you know what she did? I'll never forgive her. But give me tamaya. I'll eat tamaya instead. I'll have a tamaya sandwich at Lent and, and that'll, be, that'll be enough. I, I won't break my fast. So what am I doing? I'm replacing the hard thing with the easy thing. Forgiving that person. You all have that one person in your life, right? That one person you'll never forgive, forgive, right? You always have, you, we all, a lot of us have that one person do that one thing to us, right? That's, that's where it's at. Now, it's okay to be cold. It's better than being in the middle and saying, yeah, I just kind of go through the motion and I let that corruption in my heart fester and grow and get bigger and bigger. This is Abuna Loa. He's one of my favorites. I just, I'll read the first part. No matter how many times we slip or fall, we shall not despair. We shall cling to the mercies of God who raises the fallen and trust that eventually victory belongs to him who trampled death and broke the sting of Hades. No matter how many times we slip or fall, we shall not despair. This is what we do as Christians. There's a story about a, a person who visited a monastery and he went and he asked the abbot of the monastery, he says, what do you guys do all the time? Like you're here, all these monks are here, you're just hanging out. What do you guys do? And the abbot said, we fall and we get up. And I love that. In fact, the ultimate measure I feel of, Christian, of Christianity, if you want to say, you know, what's my spiritual level? The spiritual level is this. Here's the best measure I've ever heard. It's the amount of time between when you fall and when you get up. That's the measure of spiritual life. Because some people fall and they stay down. Six weeks, six months, six years, 60 years. And there's some people who fall and say, I will not stay down. I'll repent and I will get up right away. And the faster we just repent and get up, the better. In fact, what we do often is we stay too focused on our sins. And God doesn't want us focused on our sins. You know, um, it's better in Arabic, so I'll say it in Arabic. You know, there's arrogance, kibranefs, right? And then there's um, low self-esteem, segrenefs. But Christ doesn't call for either one of those. What does he call for? Inkarnefs, deny the self. So we're not supposed to grandize ourselves, and we're not supposed to have a low self-esteem. We're supposed to deny the self. There is no self. There is no me. There is only Christ and Christ who lives in me. The less of me there is, the better. The less of the arrogance of, oh, I sinned or, oh, I didn't sin. Even me focusing on my sin is not okay. And sometimes we hear stories about the monks and we misinterpret that. You know, we hear about St. Arsenius who used to stand by a pillar and weep all the time. And you say, what's he weeping about? And someone, one of my good Sunday school teachers said, oh, he's weeping about his sins. Is he? You're going to stand there and weep for your sins that long? Like five years after you do something, you're going to go, oh, I can't believe I did that thing. I can't believe I did that thing. Then the next day, I can't believe I did that thing. I can't believe I did that thing. Next day, I can't believe I did that thing. Can't believe I did that thing. Next day. I mean, 
It's kind of weird, huh? A little self-centered, a little too focused on the self. What's he weeping about? He sees God's glory and God's love, and it overwhelms him. And maybe it's in the context of his sins or his weaknesses or his deficiencies or other people's deficiencies. He sees God and he's like, wow, you're pretty amazing. And that brought him to tears. He wasn't focused on himself and just thinking about himself and woe is me. And I did this thing and I shouldn't have done this thing. And I wish I had done that thing. And come on, move on. I'll tell you guys another story. <laughs> There's a monk, an abbot of a monastery. And he went into town to do some business, right? To sell the wares of the monastery. I think I've told you guys this story before, haven't I? Probably. Anyway. Um, so anyway, he goes into town and he meets this, uh, this woman who's a vendor. And they end up having this torrid affair for a couple of weeks, right? The head of the monastery and this woman. And of course, afterwards, he feels like total garbage. He goes back to the monastery. It gets worse. The monks are waiting for him outside of the monastery with a procession. They got the big cross and they bring him in as a procession. Our Holy Father has come back. Your prayers while you were away have sustained us. And he's like, yeah, I wasn't praying while I was away. And only, you know, through your prayers and, and you know, the blessings have come back to us. And they bring him in and he's just, his face is in the dirt. He's like, oh my gosh, this is horrendous. He goes to his cell and he weeps and he repents of his sins. Next day, Satan appears to him and says, what are you going to do when everyone finds out about what you did in town? And the monk says, I know what you're talking about. And he goes, that affair you had with that woman for three weeks, you had an affair with her. What are you going to do when all the monks know about this? And he says, what affair? I don't know what you're, what you're talking about. And he says, the affair you had with your woman, all the monks are going to find out. And when they do, they're never going to respect you again. And he said, I had no affair. I repented and God forgave me. He's forgotten about it. And I have too. Nothing happened. And Satan disappeared. It's a very telling story. Because a lot of us are kept down by our own sins. By our own unwillingness to forgive ourselves. And we are our worst enemies. We hold our own sins over our own heads with Satan's help. And we keep ourselves down. And we just keep remembering. I read this great thing on Facebook once. It said, God knows your sins, but calls you by your name. But Satan knows your name and calls you by your sins. Don't ever call yourself your sin. You are not that. You are the son of God. And so sometimes we keep ourselves down just by, by, by remembering over and over. So these saints didn't just keep remembering their own sins and making themselves feel like garbage. They were remembering God's love in lieu of these sins. And that brought them to tears. Okay, I'll read these more quickly because we're never going to finish. Patiently accept your falls and having stood up, immediately run to God. You guys see the common theme? This is the saints talk to us. Patiently huh? accept your falls. Does that mean they're right? No. Does that mean I accept them? Yeah. It happens. Move on. Get over yourself. And having stood up, immediately run to God, not remaining in that place where you have fallen. 
Do not despair if you keep falling into your old sins. Don't let anything deprive you of hope. This is the message of the fathers. Don't just mire yourself in the sin. You just get right back up and you run back to God and accept it. Yeah, I fell. Okay, next. I'm not my sin. I'm not, I'm the son of God. And don't let sin demoralize you, right? Because again, we're not in the game of beating sin. We're in the game of struggling against sin. That's what we're called to do. Um, I'll stop. Do you have any questions? Or, I have like 700 more slides. I can just keep going. I don't know if I talk about anything Tony wanted me to talk about, but Tony gave me a topic. I just said, yeah, yeah, I'm definitely going to talk about that topic. <laughs> Sorry, Tony. You just have to invite me back again. And maybe. No questions, comments? Yes, sir. Huh? Hmm. So, so that, that's a, that's a very good question, right? So, and, and there the balance, the, the sins before my eyes, I do whenever I have feelings of, um, judgment of others, feelings of self-righteousness, feeling of having made it, feeling of pride, feeling of taking on God's gifts as my own. Right. And so whenever I start to see God's gifts and I say, you know what, I'm uh, I got a pretty good voice or I'm really good at giving talks or I'm a really good uh, comforter of other people or I'm a really good servant. That's when you remember, no, I'll tell you what I am. I'm dust. And and I like the word use like kind of where's the balance. Right. So am I the temple of the Holy Spirit or am I dust? I'm both. Right. And, you know, sometimes, you know, am, am I a queen or am I a harlot? I'm both. And that's the, that's where we, we live. In fact, I have a slide on that somewhere. Here we go. <laughs> Thank you. I, I paid him to set up this slide. Understand two thoughts and fear them. One says you are a saint. The other, you won't be saved. Both of these are from the enemy, and there is no truth in them. But think this way, I am a great sinner, but the Lord is merciful. So I am dust, and I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. I am both of those things, and God made me into that. Right. So when I think of me, I think of dust. And when I think anything good, I think of what God has given me. Right. So kind of put your sins before your eyes. Put your sins before your eyes is something that I, as a, it's a spiritual tool. It's not meant to be all the time, right? Because what some people do is they take that and they go, all right. And now they have, they're demoralized. They won't set foot back into another church, you know, and I'll kind of go off the cuff here for a second. This is one of the issues we have and, and with, with extreme uh, morality and purity focused talks, you know, we tell all the girls, you have to be virgin. Right? You got one objective in life, right? And you have to remain pure. And purity is the most important thing. Now, I'm not saying we should encourage people not to be pure. Okay? But when we emphasize that so much, right? And we're trying to encourage people to be pure, sure, right? But I have to remember, and this is important when as your kids become youth, 
that in the audience are people who aren't pure anymore. And in the audience are people who are pure now, but when they turn 23, they won't be pure. And something's going to happen. And if you, you know, God for, um, forgive them, you know, uh, this one girl, this one girl told me, college girl, she said that um, her Sunday school teacher, like a month ago, said, you know, you're like a piece of paper. And once you're crumbled up, you can unfold the paper, but it's never the same. What a horrible, unchristian thing to say about someone. So what if you're that girl? What hope do you have? What if you put your sins before your eyes all the time? Are you ever going to step foot in the church? Are you ever going to make eye contact with another member of this congregation? Are you ever going to look a boon in the face? No. You're not going to come back to this place. This is a place of judgment. This is a place of, of, of hatred. Right? So there has to be wisdom in the way we apply these things. Our problem now with the youth isn't, uh, isn't put my sins before my eyes. It's I can't take my eyes off my sins. The youth have no hope. Right, because according to the the moral standard of of Egypt in the 1950s, of Islamic Egypt in the 1950s, our kids are garbage, and they have been made to feel as such. Our kids don't have hope. Our kids are like, I'm worthless. If anyone knew anything I did, they would never look at me the same way. That's how they feel. Right, so I'm never going to tell that teenager always put your sins before your eyes. Right, so there's a there is a, a wisdom into doling out this advice, right? And I think we've doled it out too easily. You know, we, we take the Bustan, the, the paradise of the fathers, and we say, you know, this 74-year-old monk said this thing once, 14-year-old girl, I'm going to tell you the same thing 30,000 times, right? Did I over-answer your question? That's a great question, right? I think encouraging other people is the most important thing we can do as a church, as a body, as a community. We all need to be encouraged, and we all need to hear that encouragement. And when I say something to you like, God has done wonderful things through you, I just encouraged you, and I made it very clear who did what, right? So instead of saying, you're amazing, which is false, you're dust. God has done wonderful things through you. And that's how you encourage. And that, I think, is a very important role of the leadership of the church, of all of us together as a community. We all need it. Everyone's, everyone's broken, man. Everyone's tired. Everyone's beat down. Everyone's got problems. Things are piling up. I mean, just come to church and just say something nice to me, please. You know? And I think that's more on the side that we're on than, you know. Yeah, I mean, and, and, you know, here's the thing um, that happens, right? I mean, people do really well in school, they become a big doctor, they become a big whatever businessman, they make a ton of money, they think they're all that. What I would say is, it's not always our place to be that hand of, I got to put you in your place, right? And I think a lot of us take on that role, like, oh, you know, he, he thinks he's hot stuff. 
God sent me to go break him, right? And I'm not sure God sends you to do jack, right? I think you want to go break him and maybe you're jealous and maybe you have an issue, right? So I think a lot of us take it upon ourselves. And, and I see this even in the church, right? Like some little kid makes a sound or cries and everyone's, it's God's job. God gave me the job of yelling at you, right? I, I'm called to protect God's house from this crying infant. So I don't think that's true. And I don't think it's really our place to do that. If God needs, if God in his love thinks you need to be uh, not knocked down a step, he'll knock you down a step right let god do that vengeance is mine saith the lord you know and and so there's always you know like we supposed to speak the truth and love and i think we're all really good at truth and a lot good at not as good at love so yeah go ahead oh i see yeah yeah um well i mean you can hang out with my mom for a day or two and she'll break you down you'll have no self-esteem left um that's just a little personal that that was a little close um <laughs> um I, I i think that you know everyone fights these different battles right so i think you have to just kind of tell yourself you know uh, i can do all things through christ who strengthens me right so find the verse that you know th there are verses on both sides right there's keep your sins ever before you i can do you know and and use those things and and find what you need right um to and 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 this is where a spiritual father comes in handy, right? Because, you know, when you bounce something off another person, first of all, as soon as it leaves your mouth, you're like, okay, that's stupid, right? I've done that a million times. And then you get it. You get how dumb that is, right? Or, or how bad it sounds. And then oftentimes people can see things better than you can see them, right? And so when someone's in that position, right? And not just anybody, but someone who's like, you know, got some discernment and some wisdom and some spiritual insight, you know, they can say, you know what, this sounds a little bit like you're, you know, little uh, getting too, you know, uh, your head's getting a little too big, right? And just, you know, kind of say, you know, focus on on what God has done for you, right? And and how all these things, no matter how hard you worked, are gifts from God in any case. Good. Any other questions? Let me stop. I can tell jokes. Dude, I'm a very good dancer. Show you some moves. Let's see if there's anything else. Good. Saint Joe's uh Joe's Marie. A saint is a sinner who keeps trying. Right? So you guys see the very common theme here? It's about the struggle. Oh, I like this quote. He says, Don't say I'm getting better. That's not going to get you anywhere. Weakness is the way of salvation. We're saved by our sin, not by virtue of our sin, but Christ became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. And this is the part I like. You're not going to find God in your righteousness. You're, not going, to you're going to find God in your sin. You're not going to find him in your excellence. You're going to find him in your shame. You must fail. You must be bad. You must deal with your weakness. And this is why God gave us orthodoxy, right? And so there's that balance again, right? Instead of, oh my gosh, I sinned, I fell, you know, what's going to happen now? I can never, you know, that's so much pride. It's disgusting, right? You know, uh, as the other saint, Saint uh, Nicholas said, you know, allow yourself to just get back up and say, okay, I fell, next, right? Just moving right along, 
because we get so caught up in that we're, we're constantly failing that we don't want to get up. And once we don't want to get up, Christ has, uh, the, the Satan, Satan has won that battle. Christ, Christ said, you can, you, can, you can say blasphemy against the Son of Man, but you can't say blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Now, what does that mean? The work of the Holy Spirit is to move you to repentance, to move you to get back up. So you can say whatever you want, but as soon as you tell the Holy Spirit, I don't want to get back up, that sin cannot be forgiven. Does that make sense? But neither. All right, last quote. Sorry. They're, just, they're so good. I just don't want to stop. You don't become holy by fighting evil. Let evil be. Look towards Christ and that will save you. What makes a person saintly is love. And I really like this because sometimes in the church, we have a habit of fighting evil. We push against evil. And what he's saying is don't take that approach. Like, you know, you'll talk to a, a young person or an old person. And you say, okay, during Lent this year, I'm going to stop doing this thing and I'm going to stop doing that thing. Right? How many people have heard something like that or have done something like that? I have. So what is that? Is that Christianity? No, that's just moral behavior. That's not Christianity. Stopping a bad thing is not Christianity, right? Facing Christ, that's Christianity. Turning towards God, that's Christianity, right? The word repentance means change direction. What does that mean? That means I was looking to the left, the bad thing, and now where am I looking? To the right, to God. And if I stop at saying, I'll stop looking at the bad thing, then that's not Christianity. That's not repentance. Repentance isn't just stop this. It's turn and face Christ, right? And that's why during Lent, what do we say over and over and over again? What does the Buddha say in the fraction over and over again? <laughs> Fasting and prayer. He puts the two together over and over again. Why? He's like, fasting alone isn't going to do it. You have to turn towards Christ. You have to face Christ. So it's saying, Forius is saying is you don't become holy by fighting evil. It's like saying I have a dark room and I want to take the darkness out of the room. How do I take the darkness out of the room? I can't scoop darkness out of a room, right? Doesn't make any sense. I light a candle. Okay. But yet when Lent comes around, what do I try to do? Scoop darkness out of my room. That's the first thing I do at Lent. I'm going to scoop this darkness out and scoop that darkness out when in fact I just have to light a candle. Okay. That's all I have. Any other questions, comments, criticisms, complaints, conundrums, qualms, comedy? Okay. Glory be to God forever. Amen.